Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Loganberry Books, an independently owned and operated bookstore in the historic Larchmere neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio. Loganberry features a carefully curated collection of new, used, and rare books in all genres for both readers and collectors, with an inventory over 100,000 volumes. Find your next great read and shop online at loganberrybooks.com. And we're brought to you by Max Bax, a proud Cleveland indie bookstore with three floors for browsing, great online service, and chocolate milkshakes right next door. Find your next great read and shop online at maxbacks.com. I came of age with John Hughes movies. I pined over Jake Ryan and Sixteen Candles and daydreamed about my own Andrew McCarthy boyfriend and Pretty in Pink. I even wrote an entire novel loosely based on the plot of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I am a fan. During my own turbulent teen years when I felt like I never had the right parents or the right clothes, those films made me feel seen. They taught me that the popular kids didn't always win. Parents are embarrassing everywhere. And an adventure was merely a small lie or a good friend away. However, like so much of what I grew up loving, I can't help but see those movies now through a slightly different lens. Sure, they're still part of my adolescence. I will always be nostalgic about Ducky dancing in the record store and Ferris singing Twist and Shout on that parade float. But I'm also grateful for today's storytellers who are recasting classic teen tales with more diverse characters, less sexism, and more all-around joy for everyone. One such writer is my guest today, the indomitable Justin A. Reynolds, whose latest project, House Party, is a novel with not one author, but ten. House Party offers a delightful snapshot of classmates of all shapes and sizes getting ready to say goodbye to high school and hello to life's next chapter, but not before they make their final night together, one they'll never forget. And before we dig into the interview, here's a little more about Justin. His debut novel, Opposite of Always, was a best book of 2019, translated into 19 languages, and is being developed for film. He's followed that first title with more than a half dozen other books, including several Marvel graphic novels featuring Brooklyn's Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Justin is also the co-founder of the Cleveland Reads Book Festival for middle grade and young adult readers and writers. Justin A. Reynolds, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you again. Uh, We often invite creative folks on the show to talk about their most recent project. But I feel like every time I turn around, your recent project is like new. So you're writing a middle grade novel about alien invasion or a YA book about time travel and sickle cell disease. Then you're over here writing Miles Morales Spider-Man graphic novels. And now you've edited a book, House Party, which has like 10 different authors. You've been busy, man. I'm excited to talk about all of it. Yeah, you know, they say you stay you stay busy, you stay out of trouble, right? So just trying to keep myself out of, <laughs> out of trouble the best I can. Well, um, you're making some good trouble here. I, I appreciate it. So, hey, to begin, why don't we, for the couple of listeners who maybe haven't 
haven't had the opportunity to meet you and learn your story, I'd love you to just uh, tell us a little about yourself. Um, what are you about? Did you always want to be a writer, for instance? So definitely have always wanted to be a writer, at least uh, as far back as I can recall. I, I usually tell the story about, uh, you know, that kind of, usually I think it was like pale green, sometimes it was tan, maybe even pink at times. But it was that paper where they taught you how to write capital and lowercase letters and had kind of like the dashed line in between the middle so you could go up just for your lowercase letters. Yes. Uh, with the two uh, solid lines for the for the uppercase. So I wrote one of my first sentences back in, in kindergarten. When I grow up, I want to be a writer. And my mom still has it. So so it's not just a figment of my imagination. It, and it's in her office. Since I was really small, I found such joy and refuge in storytelling. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to, to be um, kind of guided along my, along my life path and, and now my career path by people who also have a same, th- that same kind of relish for, for good storytelling. So yeah, I grew up, I grew up wanting to write. My, my mom gets a lot of credit for that. She was um, a substitute teacher, usually went in for English. Um, classes. And she also was, a, in addition to being an educator, she was a librarian. And so I literally grew up along with my sister at the at the library. And uh, how can you not develop a, a, a lifelong passion for reading and the arts uh, when you grow up literally surrounded by uh, so many books? And so uh, that's what we did. We weren't allowed to watch a lot of television. I think at most, it was like an hour we could get in, a, in any day, and a half hour of it had to be some educational program that my mom approved of. So like Reading Rainbow or whatever. I'm dating myself, but like Reading Rainbow. <laughs> um, and uh, and then the other half hour was yours. Um, so most of the time, we either spent outside, like running around the neighborhood, or reading, like our nose in the books. And like some of my fondest memories are... Uh, coming home with my mom from the library with like 30 books kind of uh, precariously stacked in our arms and just dumping them on my mom's bed. My dad would like work swing shift back then. So he would be at work and it'd be like, especially in the wintertime, we did this like all the time. And we just kind of surround ourselves in books, the three of us, my mom, my, my sister and myself. And we'd take turns reading to each other and just reading to ourselves. And like, that's, literally one of one of my favorite moments from 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 growing up i i know that it just kind of crystallized this desire to to immerse myself in story and um and yeah like growing up i did a lot of other things as well but somehow i would always find myself writing something or other um and and i I have a lot of like little memories of kind of people supporting me along the way and, and really kind of encouraging me to to keep writing my stories. Isn't that funny how those early pieces of paper, I remember those. Ours often had like a room for a picture at the top. And like, I often never got to the picture because I was too busy like writing in the lines all the way exactly. or like we'd go to the bottom and then there'd be no picture at the top. I also remember they had that young authors and illustrators contest at the schools. And, and I wrote on that same paper, 
I wrote what I was calling a rough draft and I was working on it until the day before the contest. <laughs> and I was like, now all I have to do is write the final draft, but it didn't have any more of that paper. And also my parents were like, <laughs> it's time for bed. So I actually found this when I was um, digging through my parents' house when we, when we sold it recently, it was like they had pasted paper onto my so-called rough draft. And then I had tied it like punched holes and like tied it with ribbon to make it like a real draft um, but those early interactions with books, with paper, with story, they really do flow through us to adults, don't they? Yeah. I <laughs> love, love, love the physical representation of a book. It, it, it in itself feels like art to me. Um, just holding it and like that first crack of the spine as you're kind of like opening it for the first time. And like, I don't know, something about that and, and, and it's inherent. Uh, artistic value, just the way that it's so, so like carefully designed and, and, and constructed. But I, uh, yeah, in fourth grade, I decided I wanted to do the same thing, and so like I, I cut up paper, <laughs> kind of to to like make it the size of like a traditional book, and then I took cardboard and I folded it and created a spine and also the, the front and back flaps, and then I took like wallpaper and also some like linen stuff from my uh fabric stuff from my mom's uh, sewing kits and i like i made a cover like kind of a collage of color and then i would put like a strip along the spine and i'd carefully write my name and then i i and then i would sew the pages into together and then i would kind of like glue them into the book and i even like had a picture of myself on the back flap of the book it was hand drawn <laughs> and uh and then uh and then I remember being so proud of that like I took it to school and and my teacher she 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 saw it on my desk and she was like oh can I can I see this and she kind of flipped through it and started to read and then she was like would you mind if I if we share this with the class like could we put this in our class library set and I was like stunned like floored uh because I hadn't really imagined other people would have an interest in my work to that to, to that degree, and like to see the other kids kind of like for that moment embrace it and be like excited about it and kind of flip through it and like pass it around. It was it was pretty cool. It was like one of those things that like I, I remember reflecting back years later, like oh, I want to I want to duplicate that feeling. Yeah, let someone know it's it's possible. Yeah, that there's there's often this gap between like me and what I dreamed. Exactly. You know, like I, I don't know how to get from here to there. But when someone says, oh, one way to be a person with a book on a shelf is for somebody else to put your book on the shelf. Exactly. Hey, so your latest project is House Party, a novel you edited for the Joy Revolution imprint headed by Nicola Yoon and David Yoon. Did I read correct? Like the, the book has 10 authors, right? It does. 10 <laughs> ten, 10 amazing, incredible authors and people, yes. All right. I'm really interested in how this comes together. I'm picturing you as kind of a showrunner for that novel. Was it like herding cats? I mean, I want to I want to write about Savoy the Influencer, and I'm over here with my toaster strudel. And like, like, or did you guys all sit down and like brainstorm the story arc? Like, what was that like? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, first of all, I love every single person in the book. I, I, they were all hand-chosen. Uh, and 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 I, I gave a lot of consideration 
to the group of people who I, who, who I, I asked to be a part of this project, um, not just about how amazing their writing is, which every single one of them is like award-winning, best-selling uh, in, their, in their own right, but also just people who I, who I like, whose work I had admired for so long and I wanted to, I like secretly wanted to like fanboy. Uh, <laughs> and so I just was like, and some of these are, some of these people, a lot of them are my friends. And so like, you know, I just kind of guilt tripped them into the project a little bit when I had to, but also it was just like, I wanted to have fun. I think so many authors talk about like their pandemic book and this was my pandemic book. It was like a kind of a response to just all of the the stress that that the world was feeling, that I was feeling, the the anxiety that we all were feeling, kind of being uh, so very isolated. Uh, I'm a pretty social creature, and so I was like, "How do I?" You know, for the first few months, you kind of like you make do and you do what you can, and like Zooms feels like a like a refuge, but then it's like, okay, what what now? What now can I do to try to you know alleviate some of this pressure that's building up inside of me? And my response was to try to watch and read things that made me feel good. And I was watching like a lot of uh, teen movies that I had grown up on, like 10 Things I Hate About You, Can't Hardly Wait. And I was like, I love those movies so much because you know that you're going to be in good hands. You know that these kids are going to get what they want and what they deserve ultimately, but you're still mesmerized by like the transformation. And and it's more so than them just kind of like changing themselves externally. It's like the transformation as they, as they kind of like learn things about themselves that will allow them to kind of be catapulted into into the next part of their young adulthood. And so uh, I was like, I love those stories. I just want more diversity in some of those stories. And I thought it would be kind of cool to introduce um, a concept in which we had uh, 10 archetypes. So like I was the class clown, like Jerry Craft is the artist, Angelina Bully is the theater kid, Randy Rebe is the... Um, band kid and, and like Christina Hammond Reed uh, and Natasha Diaz, the, the school editor and the, the popular girl. Uh, I think everyone was like super excited about the challenge. We wanted to write these archetypes, but to show a different side of these characters, um, a more in-depth look, give them like a little bit more than that kind of that superficial glossing that you kind of have to get in an ensemble cast in a movie. We wanted to have the same kind of like verve that you feel in those movies, the same kind of movement as you kind of bound from room to room, following one character, then leaving that character and, and following another. And so we, rather than kind of write what people would normally expect, like a traditional anthology, this was a novel in stories. We wanted to write one unified story. You to be able to do that because all these writers like are telling amazing stories. And so I wanted the reader to kind of be immersed in this experience, to truly feel like you're at the party with everyone and that you're like having an active uh, role in, in in the experience, and so yeah, we it was a lot of work. We did we did a lot of Zoom calls because obviously we all live all over the place, um, but we had writers' rooms for sure. And you know, I kind of created a whole bible to outline and create this entire fictional city that's outside uh, Chicago called Florence Hills, and like all the things about it, made up all kinds of stats and like made up festivals and lots of stuff that will never ever appear on any on any page. Um, so that we could all understand the world. And then I gave us a few characters that we could all use and share. And then we just started working together to see like what made the most sense. Like we had our, we all kind of had our individual uh, pitches and ideas as to what we saw our character kind of going through. 
but then it was like, okay, how, how do these stories overlap? How can, what are the interesting connections or maybe the, the harder to, to realize connections that exist and how can we make sure everyone gets an opportunity to really grow on the page but more, more importantly, like enjoy themselves and laugh and, and, and find love. That's one thing about as a, as a, as a, a black writer, I think sometimes it's kind of like this idea that so many of our stories are are centered around trauma or focused on some negative experience and kind of learning from that. And I appreciate why those books exist. We we unfortunately still need them to to, to further discussions and to hopefully move move the needle in terms of empathy and compassion for one another as humans. But I I want to tell stories that just make your heart sing, that make you cry sometimes, sure, but 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 with the with the idea, with the understanding that it's going to be okay, and that there's more than just a silver lining, like it's it's all gold. It's just a matter of, of allowing yourself the grace, allowing the people you love the grace that you all deserve. That's glorious. I feel like that really fits in with the Yoon's um, imprint. That Joy Revolution really is about what you're talking about, and especially coming out of the pandemic when there was. So much loneliness, so much self-doubt, so much. Yeah, I, I too am someone who feeds on the energy of, of other people. That's where this show was born from. I was just desperate to connect with folks who I knew were out there and you just couldn't be by them. I, I know what you're saying about the the way an anthology usually reads. Because when I when I first got House Party, I assumed it was 10 short stories that everyone's going to tell the story about themselves at the party. Um, For folks who haven't read it yet, it's out brand new this summer, but but all of these kids are going to a party. It's definitely got like a John Hughes, like 10 Things I Hate About You is a little a later 90s movie, but the same vibe, right? Like high school kids, it's the end of the year, they're going to a party. Like it's very familiar, very joyful, but a lot of teenagers, I'm, I'm a mom of two teens right now, they missed these chapters, right? COVID took that away, and I know that that it, for many people it's back, but it is not the same. They missed out on just like this effortless, making bad choices all together. But just like you said, you're in the hands of an author. Like, like I know they're not all going to die at the end. Like, I, I know that we're here, that, that a goat is going to poop somewhere, that someone's not going to get the girl, that, that there's going to be like some people meeting in the closet. But but we're in good hands here. And it it did not read, I guess the word I would use like is siloed. Like it didn't read like I, I wasn't skipping around to find, oh, where's the chapter that's so-and-so? Because it did read really interconnected. You did a great job. That's what I wondered was how much work went into that weaving together. Because instead of seeming like lonely or competitive, this seemed really collaborative and loving. And that really comes through. I know I'm not telling you anything, but that is really hard to do what you guys did there. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, sh- shout out to to Bria, who was the the acquiring editor of the project at Joy Revolution, uh, the 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 head editor at Joy Revolution, and her patience first and foremost. I think that, like, you know, in the beginning, I always kind of knew I wanted it to 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 read the way it, it's come out, but you know. It's a huge undertaking, and I I credit her so much for like kind of helping helping me keep things uh, kind of on track and and kind of keeping track of all these threads that we were kind of weaving in and out of the story and talk about like 
trying to make sure there's continuity. Uh, it, that in itself was such a big challenge. Uh, and then you're also just trying to deal with like a lot of personalities, right? Like everyone is an amazing writer in their own right. And so you're, it, it takes like a special group of people to come together to be able to kind of, you know, check your ego and like say, I just want to create the best art possible, whatever that looks like. And I, and I was so fortunate to have people who not only did that, but, but went far beyond who were, who were willing to, to like really give of themselves to make these stories work. Well, it's triumphant. And for folks who are looking for a fun summer read or even a, a grad gift for you've got kind of a graduating senior or just for the teenager in your life who's like sitting around the house. But, and even truthfully for adults, I was definitely flashing back to some Julia Stiles type parties and, and, <laughs> and um, but but with a modern spin, like that Savoy character is still sticking out in my yeah. head, just like a, a character who I know exists out there on YouTube, but I hadn't really thought about like what goes into making those uh, influencer posts or, exactly. or, you know, how much is real. We we all know this, right? We all know that the breakfast you see on the internet or the video you see, like we all know it's not real, but we forget when we're watching it. And, and you just, you guys did a great job of, of um, that theme of like the, I don't know, the, what we put out there, like the self that we put out there versus the self that we really are. I thought that that particular character and that wove through the whole house party it was it was really well done hi there i'm heather drago and i'm sarah saunders we host the podcast that's a hard no about saying no and setting boundaries so you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs saying no isn't just okay it's the key to living an authentic fulfilling life I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. You're also um, living my son's dream as a Marvel creator. So in addition to writing your own YA books and editing other people's uh, books together, um, you are also a creator of superhero graphic novels, um, Miles Morales' Spider-Man books. How did you get into the the superhero biz? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been great. Um, definitely... Uh, a lifelong dream to 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 write for Marvel, to to write a, a graphic novel, a comic book. Uh, growing up, comic books were a big part of my life. My mom would take my sister and I to the flea market once once a month uh, to maximize the few dollars that we had. We buy these mystery bags, and which you didn't know what you were getting inside. You get two or three comics inside. You had no idea what you're buying for a couple bucks. And then we'd like, t- I mean, we could barely make it to the car before we we're like ripping those things open. And it was just like the 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 mystery part of it made it exciting, but it was just also just cool to to like see these stories to 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 be able to 
kind of imagine this like completely different world, but also have the images behind it to support it. And so I was, I'm thankful that I always talk about this. Like I'm thankful that my mom has always allowed us to like read what interests us and has never been like, well, comic books or graphic novels aren't real literature. You need to be reading this or that. Even, you know, as an educator, she could have easily said that as a librarian, she could have easily felt like that. But I feel the same way my mom does. It's like, I don't care if you're reading the side of a cereal box, if it inspires you, like if it makes you happy, if it, if it gets you to read another sentence, then like, so be it. And so, yeah, just like, just like super happy that I had that opportunity to, to, to kind of inculcate that in, in our stories. And like the miles thing kind of came about because someone at Marvel read my debut opposite of always. And they thought, Oh, this voice of this kind of like anxious, earnest kid who's just so consumed with doing the right thing and trying to show up for his friends and family. They thought that it had a lot of kind of Miles Morales vibes to it and, the, and that the voice kind of spoke in a way that Miles might speak. And so they 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 approached us and asked if I would if I had any ideas, if I had any interest in working on Spider-Man. And I'm like, Spider-Man has literally always been my favorite superhero. This, is, this isn't a made up thing. Um, and then like when Miles Morales came on, which a lot of people don't realize he's been here now on the scene since the first appearing in the comics, like 12, 13 years now. And he ever since he burst into the scene, it was like, I was fascinated by him because he had everything that, that I love about Peter Parker, all the quips, kind of all the backstory. He's about, it's really about someone who I think everyone can find something that they relate to, but especially young people where it's like, you're juggling uh, this kind of adolescence, but also this responsibility towards your family and your friends and towards your schoolwork. And there's so many people that it feels like you're trying not to let down and all these balls are in the air and you're doing your best to juggle them. And inevitably, right, a couple a couple slip through the cracks, a couple fall fall by the wayside. And you just do your best to continue keeping the rest of the balls in the air and, and getting the other ones back up as soon as possible. So, like, I, like, couldn't wait to dive into uh, my own story. It still, like, doesn't really fully compute this idea that, like, I got to contribute to that canon, to the Spider-Man canon. But I mean, I'm de- it's definitely one of the one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Yeah, that is cool. That's very cool. I'm wondering a little bit about that process compared to like when you set out to write a novel, you're in charge of the world to the you know to the extent that you can have them get on this bus or on this train, or they can wear pink or they can yellow or green. But but when you're writing a character that is part of a larger world. There's probably some limitations, and also with a with a graphic novel, you've got an illustrator. I don't know if there are limits on like length, or if you have to hit like the door of no return, or this this beat here, or this point there. What was it like to to write within a world that existed already? Yeah, uh, nerve wracking. It's different when you're like, okay, I need to now somehow pay respect and honor where this character has been, where these characters have been, while also still not being afraid to use my voice and kind of really push it in these other directions that I'm interested in. And I, I was fortunate enough to work with with some incredible people at Marvel and at Scholastic. And, and as we kind of put this project together, they were so supportive of, of like my vision and they gave me the green light to really just like go for it. And so I kept thinking like, when are they gonna tell me like, that's too much? And I would say like, oh, I get to develop like these villains. Like those, these villains are now like part of like the Marvel, the Marvel world. Like they, they get to stay there forever. And so every time I got to make a, a character of my own, 
I was just like kind of like a, 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 a giddy kid, like, oh my God, I can't believe I have this character now in, in the Marvel comic book. This is amazing. But yeah, the, I mean, it, it's definitely different than writing a novel. It, it felt more like, like I do some screenwriting now and it, and it felt more like kind of along the lines of screenwriting in which you, you write this script and you are responsible as the writer for all, not only just like the dialogue and all the tags, but even for like the sound effect, like incorporating the sound effects and, and like anything that's happening related to text in the thing that's on you, but you're also responsible for every single panel on that page. You have to give a description of what's happening, right? Like you're the one who's painting the picture. So if you want Spider-Man to be perched on the tallest building in Brooklyn, you kind of have to spell that out. And sometimes I would, I would use words. Sometimes I, I would include images of my own that, that I was trying to use to kind of relay to Pablo what type of art I was looking for or what I was envisioning. And then sometimes he would have notes of his own. He would say, either give me this or that and say, like, I was thinking we could kind of amp this up or, like, pull this back. And what I realized is, like, as I was writing the script and as we were working together, him and I, that I needed far and far less words to accomplish what I was after because his art just spoke for itself far more eloquently than I than I could have with, with, with adding, you know, text to, to, to a lot of those pages. And so, yeah, it was a great partnership. We really understood each other and, and had kind of the same goals for the project and, and both felt really honored to be able to continue this Miles Morales legacy. Wow. That does sound like a lot to juggle, but the the books are terrific. I mean, I can attest to that, not just as a as an adult reader, but as, you know, as a parent who's watched my son tear through them. So you've written alone, you've written with other people, you've written love stories, you've written superheroes and a kid in his bathing suit. Like what's, uh, what are you working on now? What, what's next? Yeah. Uh, so we're wrapping up, uh, this, the sequel, kind of the companion novel, the shot clock, Karan and I decided to kind of create, create another, another, uh, a book from that. And so you get to follow the life of a different kid who's, who's a big part of, of the first book. And then my second installment in the it's the end of the world. I'm and I'm in my bathing suit. That's right. Comes out. Yeah. And that's called uh, running in flip flops from the end of the world. <laughs> which you know, if you ever run in flip flops, shout out, shout out to everyone who's survived that that ordeal. <laughs> yeah. So those those two things will be out here the next within the next year or less. And then yeah, I'm just I have a couple other things kind of in the works. I'm just I, I'm always writing. I, I write a little bit every day for the most part. I don't know if it's a gift or a curse, but I've never been a person short on ideas. Uh, and so it's more so like, do I have the time to execute all these ideas that I have? Um, and how do I pick which one I w- that really sings to me? So uh, yeah, working on some more YA right now, uh, my next YA, hopefully, and then uh, and, and maybe an adult thing. And, and then I, I have a, a middle grade project I'm really excited about that, that, uh, that I'm, I'm creating as we speak. So yeah, it's uh, it's a lot, but like I like, like I said, I like to stay busy. I can't imagine. I was telling this to some of my my writer friends. Like I can't imagine not working on multiple projects at the same time. I'm I am sometimes like envious of people who do because I'm like, oh, that must be like amazing just to be like, I'm just gonna focus on this one thing and make it like incredible and like spend like seven years crafting it. And like <laughs> I like I like secretly long for that experience at one point in my life. But for right now, I'm just like so happy I get to write what I do, and especially the, the books I get to write for kids to see their faces, like as they as as like all these kids kind of find themselves 
represented in these fun ways and they get to be kind of the, the hero front and center. Every, every kid deserves to be the hero of a story and to have their, have who they are and how they identify validated as important and meaningful and not just be the sidekick or the comic relief, but the, but the, but the adventurer, the explorer, uh, the, the person kind of pushing the, the momentum of the story forward. And so, yeah, I, I feel, I feel super lucky uh, to get to write those stories. And, I, and I, I take that responsibility seriously. That's lovely. Every kid deserves to be the hero of a story. That's totally, totally true. Um, well, we will be on the lookout for all of those things. I, yeah, there's, you, man, you wrote so many things. We haven't gotten to talk about them, but we need to um, sail to a close here. So I'm going to just end with some fan favorites. We always end with a couple just multiple choice, quick questions so that people can get to look at the guy behind the books. You ready? Sure, let's do it. Just pick one here. Coffee or tea? I really Do I really have to pick one? Is this like one of those things where you really have to commit? There's no point system. There are no judges. Uh, okay, it's, good. It's free right, form. Cool, cool. But tell me about okay, your cool, relationship cool. to coffee or tea here. I saw you writing numbers down. I didn't know if you were about to give me a score. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that I um, – so I love coffee. During COVID, I got COVID. It made me literally sick at the idea of like – of coffee all of a sudden after having literally survived on it for the decade before. And so that was like a big, uh, weird adjustment. It's slowly starting to come back now. I, I can now enjoy some coffee occasionally again, but I, I really switched over to like matcha during the, during that time. And, and that kind of became my, my go-to drink. I also love some, I love tea, some jasmine tea, green tea, black tea, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I just love tea. Nice, nice. All right, uh, another one. Mountains or beach? I'm inclined to say beach. I love anywhere I can be near a body of water, especially a, a moving body of water, and just kind of listen to to the water rolling. It just, it's always been something I've found relaxing. And plus, like, at the beach, people expect you to, to do, like, three things. Either, like, run around the beach, you know, throwing a ball around, splashing the water or whatever, or taking a nap. Or reading a book. So, like, you can't go wrong with, with any of those options. No, I hear you there. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs, for sure. Cats, like, I, I find cats, like, a little unsettling. Like, they're a little creepy. <laughs> Just, like, I think I was scarred growing up. There's a couple of cats my, my, that were uh, uh, cats of my friends, par- uh, my, my parents' friends who were, like, so sneaky. And then, I mean, I'm talking, like, literally one of the cats was named bandit so that tells you everything you need to know and you'd be like sitting on the couch as like a you know like a kid a single digit kid like nine eight you know like you'd see the curtains behind the couch start to like move and all of a sudden like this cat is like lunging at you like with like bad intentions and so uh (laughs) it's like it was hard to i think it's been hard ever since like i think i've been scarred like i know i don't want to say all cats are the same i know i know no, a lot of you have good hearts, but uh, I gotta, I gotta go with dogs. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, Fruit Loops or Captain Crunch? Fruit Loops. Although I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> so Fruit Loops for sure. Like up in like the whole time I was writing opposite of always. It was like Fruit Loops is like the best cereal ever, and then like at that time, second tier was like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I will say, I have been on. Just letting you in on the inside of my world here. I have been on a kind of a Captain Crunch journey here recently. Captain Crunch Berry's journey here recently. Uh, And Captain Crunch is, I mean, it's just delicious. Uh, That, I mean, I like corn pops. I mean, honestly, it's like, if it's it's like something you pour milk into, like I'm probably about it. 
on some form or fashion. And uh, I do have a pantry full of cereal boxes. So it's kind of pick your poison, you know, every, every morning. I hear you. Uh, growing up, we were just like all Cheerios all the time. And every once in a while as an adult, I will walk in like they had like two boxes of cereal for like five bucks the other day. And I legit grabbed honeycomb and Lucky Charms <laughs> yes. because I had to remind myself I was allowed to. Exactly. And, you know, so exactly. every once in a while, I'm just like, I tiptoe in. And I, I pretty much ate the whole box of yes. honeycomb by myself. I hope so. I don't think Treat my kids yourself. had it. I don't, I mean, they, they can get their own. Then <laughs> for themselves, it's fine. <laughs> um, okay, uh, last few here. Are you a risk taker or the person who always knows where the Band-Aids are? Uh, I know where the Band-Aids are just because of my nursing background, but I'm definitely a risk taker. Like I'm not like I'm I'm probably not the ideal patient anyway. So it's like I know where the band aids are, but I probably won't let you bandage me. But 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 I, <laughs> but I definitely will be out there taking taking uh, unmitigated risk. So <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. If I this is a fill in the blank. If I wasn't working as a writer and had a little magic, instead I would be a. I would be I either one of two things. Either a chef because I just love cooking. And I, I would love to like live in some remote place and just like, you know, all of my ingredients are just things that I'm that I'm like foraging and like gathering together. Like I like I watch a chef's table and I'm like, oh my god, like I'm drooling. Like I want that experience. Uh, and I just think that like food, obviously, right? We all need it. But beyond that, it's, it's such a such a it's such a immersive social experience that I just think that like it's it's incredible. And you know, you feed someone, it's like, and you know, automatically, I think you become their best friend. Um, and then I would want to be like some type of painter or maybe like an installation artist, something like that. The thing I love about like I do a little bit of painting and sketching now. I really picked it back up uh, during the pandemic because I live in my brain uh, so abstractly with these story ideas that, you know, they might take 18 months, two years, three years before they actually become a physical manifestation. And so it's like, you know, that whole three years, people are like, are you really working? Are you sure you're doing things? This looks like you're like watching shows on your laptop or something. And I'm like, no, I promise you, I'm like working. <laughs> I mean, I'm watching shows on my laptop. I'm not, I mean, I won't lie, but I'm also working. Like that's also part of the work. Um, and so uh, it's it's nice sometimes to have something that you can like start and be finished with in like a couple of days, a, a month or, or whatever. And to be like, okay, Here's some a little bit of immediate gratification that like being a novelist does not unfortunately provide. It's totally true. It's a glacial pace for the novel, but for a painting, you could actually see it in a shorter period of time, perhaps. Yeah. Um, okay, last last two here. Um, what is your favorite ice cream? Oh, so this is super hot take. I'm not a huge ice cream person by by nature, but I will say over the last couple of years, I've been like kind of like you know, dipping my toes into the into the into the the, the creamery uh, section there of the of the of the, of the freezer aisle. And I feel like I'm like so basic now for saying this, but like I, so growing up, I was always like Oreo blizzards from Dairy Queen. But now I'm at like uh, you know I'm more refined. You know, I'm, I'm like I'm more mature. So now I like Jenny's Bramber, uh, Brambleberry Crisp because I'm so <laughs> I'm so I have like my my taste of. Have been so elevated and re- and so like yeah definitely <laughs> goodbye to the to the Oreo blizzards and like hello uh, mature Justin eating eating Jenny's yeah nice Nick Nick Stone calls that bougie ice cream by it the is way. bougie ice cream I mean <laughs> it is bougie ice cream I, I can't I, I wish I could deny it but but you know you got to treat yourself 
you know, you every, we're all working hard out here. We got to treat ourselves to, to to things when we can, you know? Absolutely. Okay, hey, last one. If we were to take a picture of you really happy doing something you love, what would we see? I mean, reading, but I don't know if my face is, like, happy when I'm reading, so let me think of something different. Oh, I'll say, like, <laughs> ride, riding, like, my bike or, like, my one wheel around the neighborhood, um, especially at night when I was, when it's, like, the roads are kind of quiet and just, like, you get to just, you know, turn up the speed and just kind of like see all these things, see your neighborhood in a, a totally different way, a different, literally a different light. And, uh, and it makes me so happy just to kind of like feel that wind blowing against me and, and, and like just a, a, it's like a reminder of like how simple the smallest things can be. Absolutely. Well, with the breeze on your face, uh, Justin A. Reynolds, we'll say thank you for being here today. You dedicated a recent book saying, you know, quote, to every kid who ever wondered if you have what it takes, you do. Thank you for your unfailing belief in us and the next generation. We are better off because of the stories you write. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. That, that means a lot. And I appreciate you having me on. I've been a, a long-time fan of the show. Thank you, folks. Justin A. Reynolds' latest project is House Party. You can find it and a whole bunch of other titles at an indie store near you or your library. And to everyone listening, we're wishing you love and light wherever the day takes you. Be good to yourself. Be good to one another. And we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.